It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the, uh, you know, to the to the show that we're doing right now. Following the local teams, breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. There's going to be much higher expectations, sense of awareness of what uh, we bring to the table. Join the show by calling into 435-752-1069 or text 435-339-0321. It's the Full Court Press. Throws, and yes! Touchdown, did he get it? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Very abbreviated 4 o'clock hour show here on the Full Court Press. Utah Jazz with a big win on the road at Minnesota. And uh, you know, for once, the, the last second shot worked out for Utah. Uh, and they win it on a free throw. I've, Creating healthy I, habits and, uh, and lifestyles. Begin. Uh, interesting that that would start. but <laughs> The ads want to play. They want to kick us out. <laughs> yeah. Don't know why that's playing but anyway um yeah weird so what uh anyway shortened show for us because we'll have uh the you know, the dan patrick's above the noise segment coming up here shortly but big win for utah uh in that they were able to uh, get the win in the in a close fashion you know they were able to fight back and and get it close against uh philadelphia over the weekend friday night and they they went ahead had that go-ahead bucket but then they left a little bit too much time on the clock, and Joel Embiid makes the shot. They win the game. But Utah's got to be like, uh, well, I just looked it up. They are the team that has played more clutch games than anybody in the NBA. Now, what I don't know is if this stat was updated to include today's game or not. So what I have is 31. It could be 32 if this game was not included in that list. But let's just go with that 31 of their games so far this year have been clutch, meaning it's it's within five points in the final five minutes. Yeah, at some point within the final five minutes. So more than anybody in the NBA, Utah has played more clutch games, more clutch minutes than anybody. Now, their winning percentage in those is not great. They win about 42% of those games. They're 13 and 18, but... Um, I mean, this coach Will Hardy after the game. He said, "This is who we are now. We uh, we play in these tight games." Yeah, well, it's I wouldn't expect the the Jazz to be you know super good in these clutch situations. You know, you tend to do better when you have the the go to creation score, and they don't quite have that. Um, they kind of do in Jordan Clarkson when he's on. He is that guy, but he's not consistently that guy. The way that a Donovan Mitchell or any other scoring star is. But still, they're not a complete disaster in these situations either. You know, they say 13 and 18 was the record. Yeah. It's not bad. You know, think of the, the teams the last couple of years where they've been awful in clutch situations. But a team that you know, with a losing record, they get into clutch situations often enough, they can at least make it or keep it respectable and have a chance to win in the last couple of possessions. That's what matters, especially for a team. Again, we've talked about how young they are. And not only how young, but some of the guys in key positions, even if they are in the 25-26 range, you know, five, six years in the league, they've never had this pressure placed on them. So they're developing and uh, actually getting real development, not just getting their you know teeth kicked in the way Oklahoma City does their development. Right, or Houston, or yeah. Detroit, the, or Orlando. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the Jazz are developing in that they're actually playing real, meaningful basketball for about 48 minutes instead of... 21 (laughs) 
Uh, that's true. So great performances today by the rookies. You know, Kessler with a 20-20 game, 20 points, 21 rebounds, four assists, two blocks, just a monster performance from him. And Ochai Agbaji continues to improve and impress 17 points off the bench for him in really like starter-like minutes. He played 31 minutes today. Yeah, that's, he's been very impressive. Um, obviously still very much a role player, so you know, he's, he's not creating for himself. But still, you get 17 points out of a role player, a rookie role player. You know, that's that's the great game. And then Walker Kessler, there's not enough words for 2020 game as a rookie. I think it was somebody said the last 2020 game by a rookie was like 2014. It's like that's that's amazing. It's been a while. And good to have Colin Sexton back in the lineup. I thought he played great down the stretch. But uh, overall, great game for the Jazz. We'll continue to look at it and break down what happened with the Utah State Aggies against Nevada as well. Stick around. More on the Full Court Press. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. After an impressive collegiate career at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence struggled his rookie year in Jacksonville. But ever since Doug Peterson was named head coach, Lawrence has blossomed. Now, there are many ways to identify an elite quarterback, but overcoming adversity and the ability to elevate the talent around you, two of the most crucial traits. Lawrence put those tools on display Saturday night. After a dismal first half that featured four interceptions, he remained unfazed and led the Jags to a 27-point comeback win over the Chargers. If that wasn't impressive enough, Lawrence completed the comeback with a host of cast-off receivers. No Tyreek Hill or Justin Jefferson on the Jags roster. The team's leading receiver this year was Christian Kirk. With an inexperienced and young roster, a Super Bowl run will be a tall task for Jacksonville. But after the improvements we've seen from Trevor Lawrence this season, it's safe to say the Jags have found their quarterback of the future. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the, uh, you know, to the to the show that we're doing right now. Following the local teams, breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. There's going to be much higher expectations, sense of awareness of what uh, we bring to the table. Join the show by calling into 435-752-1069 or text 435-339-0321. It's the Full Court Press. Throws, yes! Caught! Touchdown! Did he get it? Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Eric Franson, Jason Walker. Very abbreviated 4 o'clock hour. Yeah, all of like four minutes in the four o'clock hour. Four minutes. Uh, Utah Jazz early game today because of uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. A lot of NBA games happening throughout the day today, and um, so that's why it was it too is because like they have like a whole lineup of games going throughout the entire day. Is that why they're yeah games that uh, started earlier in the day and going all day long uh, for the holiday of the. Great messages and remembrances to his legacy, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, but Jazz, another really close game down to the wire, and they get the victory this time. It's uh, There's been a lot of these lately, Jason, and we were talking at the tail end of last hour, just Utah has been in more clutch minute games than anybody in the NBA. Miami Heat's close, but Utah has had more games where the game is uh, – within five points or less in the final five minutes of the game. And there's been 31 of those uh, games for Utah Jazz. So very few games 
have they been totally blown out? Um, but uh, it seems like this is happening with regularity right now more than anything. Uh, and, Jason, you were looking at just the, the recent schedule for Utah, and there's been a lot of these games come down to the wire lately. Yeah, not just, you know, five points in the last five minutes where there's some clutch element, but, like, the last four games, at least, you can say, have basically come down to, like, the last possession or at least Utah's last offensive possession. Because, um, you know, this game it was hit a free throw with, you know, four seconds left to go up by one point, play defense on that final possession. Um then, you know, Philadelphia 76ers trading a couple of last-second buckets there. The Orlando Magic, that was the game I had the pleasure of going to. And uh, the Jazz, um, kind of a really crazy sequence there on their possession where they get a foul to potentially go up by – they were up by two. Um, maybe they're up by th- by one. But they get free throws. They have a chance – yeah, they, they were up by one, got free throws, had a chance to go up by three – Miss both free throws, and who else but Walker Kessler getting a rebound. Then they go up by three, and I think they end up going up by four um, with the last few seconds left. But, yeah, that game was – it wasn't a last-second shot, but within four or five seconds of the, the buzzer, you weren't sure if it was going to go to overtime or not. Because I think Orlando had a chance at a tying three with, like, 15 seconds left. So that's coming down to, like, the last possession or two. And then this one – and then a couple of games – before it was Cleveland where the Jazz waited until like the last 10 seconds to go up by five, and they pulled back within two with like a buzzer beater. But still, like last possession or two games here, not just at one point they're within five points and they have to clutch something out or they stay at arm's length, but it's still a bit dicey. These are, you know, heart pounding, timeouts every every inbound, you know, kind of uh, kind of games, the real heart attack games. Yeah, and these are um, well. Some of them are, are frustrating and like you know heart wrenching the way that they lose. Uh, but there, there's also the games like today where you know it's exciting how they're able to pull it off and hang in there because they were down, like they were down for a good chunk of the fourth quarter, uh, and then they clawed their way back into it. I mean, they were trailing for most of the game actually, and then they clawed their way back into it in the fourth. Played better defense, uh, forced a turnover late. You know, made their shots. Malik Beasley had struggled for most of the game from outside. He hits a a three pointer in the final minutes, and uh, you know Utah finds a way to pull it off. And this is a young team, and it's a young coach. And we've talked about this in these so many close games for Utah. You know, trying to find out what are the best players to have on the floor, the best plays to run in these situations, and you know, just learning from. You know, what happened? And it kind of stings that you lose more often than they've won in these clutch games. But these are really, really valuable learning experiences for a young squad that um, you know doesn't take much for them to finally get over the hump and start winning a lot of these games. It's, it's tough to win in the NBA. But Utah right now, with the victory, puts them in the eighth position in the NBA Western Conference. And you mentioned that experience where they're playing like actual, real, meaningful. It's not just you know, upping your minute counter as far as in just calling that development for young players. This is real. They're playing meaningful basketball, you know, where every possession counts, and you have to learn, you know, when things go wrong, you got to learn, all right, what did I do wrong? And then when you do it right, it's like, all right, you know, it's a, it's a boost to you mentally. It's like, all right, I succeeded here, and you can build off of that instead of just constantly going back to the drawing board and be like, all right, what did I do wrong this time? What did I do wrong this time? Because you learn from losing, but you don't learn a ton from losing all the time. Because, like, 
Are you really learning? Are you really getting better? You need to get some wins in here. You know, for guys like Walker Kessler and Ochai Agbaji, like, getting these wins in these situations, like, yeah, I had a 2020 game when we won. That was a big part of that. You know, and, you know, or, you know, and Agbaji, you know, I had 17 points, went six of eight from the field. Like, you were a contributor in a tight, tough game. And, and that provides a, a big boost. It, it's kind of like how you talk about going to the playoffs. You know, young teams struggle in the playoffs because they don't have the experience for, you know, what it takes in, in basically the second season. And then once you get that experience, actually playing that really meaningful basketball, then it helps and, you know, you develop even more. Right, because, you know, clutch uh, tight situations that they're going through now help prepare them for, you know, games later in the season where they are tight. They are going to be a lot more tighter uh, and, uh, and closer and more competitive. And so having that experience through the season in these types of situations pays dividends later down the line. But, uh, yeah, huge game from the young players for Utah. Uh, Sexton, you know, 19 points, four rebounds, four assists. Um, you know, uh, you know, we already talked about Kessler, the type of game that he had, Agbaji off the bench, you know, big game for him. But, you know, it's greeting these young players, these quality minutes, uh, while also giving some veterans opportunities to kind of lead the team or, or be out there to help them. You know, because uh, Connolly didn't score a ton. I mean, he had 14 points, but he had six assists and, and eight rebounds. I mean, it's a solid stat line for your most veteran player on the court. Yeah, that's kind of the role that Conley plays. He's at his best when he's, you know, for this team, when he's having this kind of game. You know, 14 points, 6 to, you know, in between 6 and 12 assists. The 8 rebounds is kind of a fluky thing. They're all defensive rebounds. Um, but obviously there's some value there if he's going and tracking them down, you know, tracking down the long rebounds that happen. Um, but that is, you know, Mike Conley's not out there to score 20 points a game. He's out there to get... 14 points, again, 6 to 12-ish assists, um, and just roll from there. Be the facilitator and leader of the offense, not necessarily the scoring guy. Um, that you know goes to Clarkson and then uh, Markkinen when he's healthy, but he's obviously been out the last couple games. Well, I think it helps having Colin Sexton back as well because when Connolly takes a breather on the sidelines, it doesn't just go to Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, I think that they've tried to force him into being that backup point guard, and he's just not quite as as efficient as Colin Sexton is. Sexton is still more of a score-first mentality player, but that's something that they're really trying to get him to learn from Connolly, have him uh, Connolly mentor him and uh, be a little bit more of a facilitator, somebody who can watch for his whole team instead of just watch for himself. I think part of it is that, and what can make Colin Sexton better now? Because you mentioned that you know him developing as a point guard, that is a big key. But he's a better ball handler right now, and he fits a little bit better into that yeah. point guard because he's able to at least move around the court and be an initiator. He can break down defenders better than Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yeah, sure. and he's able to you know work around screens and different things like that, so he can initiate some offense. Is he as good as Mike Conley at actually you know dishing it off to you know dumping it off to the um, like. Pretty much anybody can dump it off to the big man. But, you know, find the right pass that isn't just the one that's staring you down. You know, can you make the right pass? Or can you make the accurate pass, the lob pass? Because some of these passes you might see, but you're not good enough to hit them accurately enough. You, you know, you end up having a turnover because you can't fit it through a tight window the way that a better facilitator like Conley can. Um, and that's where Sexton has some things to improve. 
but he's just able to run that position a little bit better because he can handle the ball and move around the court. He can do most of what needs to be, and there's some areas of development. Alexander Walker is just kind of there. <laughs> he's just running point guard, where he has about the same passing chops that Sexton does, and there's some ability to break down defenders, but not nearly to the degree of Sexton. So that's why I just I like Sexton a lot better as the backup point guard because he's able to play that position better. Yeah, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker really should be more of a Jordan Clarkson backup than a Mike Connolly backup, just based on his skill set and how he plays the game. Yeah, when when he was because he, Alexander Walker started the game against Orlando because Conley was out, and that starting lineup didn't work so well when he was at the point. It worked better when they had uh, Colin Sexton there, and uh, it also worked really well when they had Walker Kessler in there too. That was, <laughs> when he came into that game, that that game immediately turned uh, when, when Kessler was 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 playing really well. So it was it was pretty nuts. Uh, a couple of your texts coming through. Reminder: If uh, the we're here, but we are here live today, uh, and we you can accept and talk about your texts four three five three three nine zero three two one. If you want to chime in, and eight nine six eight sent this in over the weekend. I know it's Saturday morning, and you won't get this until next Monday or maybe Tuesday, but I just need to get this off my chest. I've been following Aggie basketball from early nineteen sixties. I've seen and met most of the greats that have. Uh, that have been there in these years, and I've seen really good basketball and some not so good. But the last 10 minutes of the game Friday will have to go down as the worst 10 minutes of basketball I have seen the Aggies play. It was worse than my texting and my gamer that's saying some. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the Utah State collapse at Nevada because it was a collapse. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. There's not. Uh, 4781. Jazz, wow, actually won a close one. Uh, Walker Kessler for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, that's the thing is, Walker Kessler, he's he's obviously going to be all rookie. Um, have they gone to the positionless uh, awards yet? They've, they've uh, done a lot of talking. Granted, I don't know if there's if you can find me five rookies that are doing better than Kessler anyway. But that'd be about the only way he wouldn't, is if they've actually gone to the positionless. There's been a push for that. And certainly there are rookies who are scoring at a higher clip than he is. Let me look up the um, numbers. But when you look at overall value and what he's doing on the court, it's he helps out in a lot of different ways. It's impressive and it's fun. But will he win Rookie of the Year? No. I think, uh, uh, it will be interesting to see if he gets votes, though. I think he'll get votes. Paolo Bancaro is just doing really good. You know, when you're a 20-point-per-game scorer as a rookie, that's just how it's going to be. Right. You know, and, and he's not the he's not super efficient. Granted, he's not. I think he's just not shooting well from three. I think overall he's doing all right. But yeah, he's just being an all around good player. Didn't have the greatest game against the Jazz, um, but it wasn't it wasn't super horrible. It was only like fifteen or sixteen points. So the Jazz kind of shut him down. He wasn't as impactful, but still, this is a guy who's really showing off as a rookie, and that's going to stand out to the voters. Walker Kessler is impressing. People are. Notably impressed, but they're more impressed by Bancaro's numbers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I would imagine that uh, Kessler would be involved in the rookie sophomore challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. In Dude, Salt like, Lake City. It'd be stupid if he wasn't. Everyone's involved. Like, every rookie ends up in that challenge. <laughs> like, if you've played minutes as a rookie. In the rising stars. Yeah. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see who Utah puts out as their because um, this is the home the host team put together uh, a, a group of players in the skills challenge. Or do they? what is it that they do when there's the three different players involved? Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. They do, they have had something in the past where they have like an NBA player, a WNBA player, and then like maybe some rando or something like that. I can't remember. I've not watched All Star festivities in like five years. <laughs> the last I'll tell you the last time I watched All Star festivities, Chris Bosh was involved. Oh, I'll tell you how long ago it was. That's going back a bit. Uh, so we'll see. You know. Uh, your uh, NBA votes count for your vote for NBA All Star Weekend count for three times uh, today. So if you vote for Walker Kessler, not Walker, well you could vote for Walker Kessler. Yeah. But if you vote for Lowry Markinen, it'll be uh, three times as much weight today. So if you go on and vote for him, uh, but uh, let's do this. We need to take a timeout uh, here on the Full Court Press. We will get into Utah State and their game against Nevada. What the current Mountain West standings look like. The latest. NCAA net rankings. Uh, high school RPI has been updated after region play got underway last week. And, um, boy, a lot more. How did we do in, in pick six, trying to predict what would happen over the weekend? It's all coming up on the Full Court Press. We'd love to get your texts as well. 435-339-0321. Nothing compares to the warmth and feel that a wood stove provides. The two-time Best of Northern Utah winning team says there's never been a better time to replace your old inefficient wood stove and install a new energy-efficient EPA-certified Vermont casting wood product in your home. The U.S. government is offering federal tax credits of 26% on your wood stove install. For Vermont casting units, that includes stoves, venting, and labor. Call or email Advanced Fireplace and Stove for a free in-home estimate. Call 435-752-7272 or go to advancedfireplaceandstove.com. It's cold outside, but you can keep warm inside with a quality-built, super-efficient York furnace. Count on a furnace from York because it's backed by the strongest warranties available. It's just another way we install confidence. Call Advanced Heating and Air Conditioning, your local York dealer, at 752-7272. Online at advancedheating-ac.com. York. Install confidence. We're not comfortable until you are Advanced Heating and Air. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Napa Auto Parts case lot sales going on right now. And you can uh, save big on a lot of different types of oils and a lot of items that you need when it's cold outside. Make sure your vehicle is running properly and can clear the snow coming down on your, or the rain, on your windshield. Go check it out. Napa Auto Parts, five locally owned stores between Preston and Providence. And uh, they sponsored Dan Patrick Above the Noise. Uh, So Utah State took on Nevada on Friday and a rough game for the Aggies. Now it was... It was close. It was competitive through uh, most of the game. Uh, and then the final nine minutes, it was all Nevada. And they just really took care of business. So, you know, the, uh, the Jazz, or the, the Jazz, the Aggies, it was anybody's game. And there was a point where they actually had a nine-point lead in the game. Couldn't sustain it. And you would suspect that this game is, 
is uh, they're at Nevada, and eventually they're going to make a run and make it close. And they and they did, but it was still anybody's game at the nine minute mark. And you know, Jason at um, uh, with uh, well with it, yeah, with eight fifty eight to go, Utah State leads by two, sixty four sixty two. The Aggies' next points don't come until two minutes left in the first in the half, and at that point they're down eighty one to sixty six. It was just turn my mic. It it was embarrassing because yeah, they're up seven, one point. They go they do a ten zero run to go up. The Aggies tie it up, then take another lead. Yeah, then, seventeen yeah. minutes to go. Uh, Akin has a three point play, and Aggies are up fifty one to forty four. Yeah, so it's like they they allowed they they did most of what they needed to do to win this game. And you know, I put out later, like, this is a bad, like, I sent out a tweet saying it's basically a bad road team. And some of that was overreaction. Some of that was a little bit of frustration of just watching that. Because overall, they played, what was it, like, 34 minutes of good basketball? And then they played, I know, 8, 9, 6, 8, talked about like, some of the worst basketball he's ever seen. And, yeah, in the second half, you give up separate runs of 10-0 and 19-0. That's horrible. That's incompetence. And it's not characteristic of what this team is. That's why it's so jarring. This Nevada and Boise State game are so jarring because that's not what we've come to expect from this team. We've come to expect at least baseline competence and usually great offense and, and great play. And yet in two different outings, at least for certain, you know, Nevada was kind of isolated maybe 10 minutes, but we've seen in two different outings complete and utter incompetence from this team, and it just doesn't seem to fit with what we've seen the rest of the year. Yeah, just couldn't get a stop, uh, couldn't get a bucket, um, couldn't find ways to, to manufacture points. Um, and, you know, the Nevada starts getting on a roll, and they, just, they couldn't stop it. And that's just similar to what happened in Boise. Boise started getting on a roll, and the Aggies couldn't stop it. Uh, and that's something that has really got to be addressed with this team. It's, it's happening with way too much regularity. That they, they can't look, teams are gonna make runs, right? Basketball, this happens all the time. Wherever you go, there will be runs in the game. The key to, to success is, you know, how how well are you or how good are you at stopping those runs and starting to, you know, calm things down and get back on track. Uh, easier said than done, I know it. Um, from sitting in a chair in a studio, it's really easy to say. It's hard to do, but that's something that this team is really struggling with. And do they do they miss Ryland Jones and his leadership on the court that much? You know, is he a guy that would be a steadying influence through some of those uh, situations? Maybe, but is, this team has to be more than just Ryland Jones to be able to recognize that and find ways to stop it. You can't go almost seven minutes on the road without scoring a bucket. And you go from a, a game that's a toss-up to now you're down, you're getting blown out. Well, the funny thing is they kind of did that, I guess, against Air Force a little bit where they went like nine minutes without scoring a basket. Granted, they went to the free throw line a lot. So but they, they still they, found ways to manufacture points. Yeah, and, and maybe that's where, you know, manufacturing points seems to be an issue with this team on the road at, at times. You know, it's weird because I want to say, okay, they've been terrible on the road. But there's really good arguments for them being at least okay on the road. 
You look at San Diego. Okay, they kind of had a bad defensive game, and one guy just went off. But they scored 91 points. They scored like 77 in regulation. Okay, that's not bad. Um, they go basically a road game against San Francisco. Uh, you know, it was within walking distance of San Francisco's campus, even though it's a neutral site game. They win that game by like 18 points. You know, they had a good outing against Air Force, a scrappy Air Force team, just kept them at arm's length the entire game pretty much. Even though they didn't, you know, score a, uh, an actual field goal the last nine or so minutes. But just we've seen these last two games, like, they just couldn't manufacture points if they wanted to. Like, you know, you know whatever, voodoo, Mayan sacrifices, like anything, nothing could have gotten them a bucket no matter what. And it, it just, again, like I said, it's just so jarring. There's, there doesn't seem to be any conventional explanation for it. Um, but it does worry you because it starts to become a trend. I pointed out on the, the thing on Twitter was, or I said it's kind of a bad road team because they have one good road performance. They barely snuck a, a win out against San Diego. They have two really bad losses and then the one good win against Air Force. And a good, not just a win, but a good performance. And so that seems to kind of be the trend. Um, and it, it makes one worried because going forward, you know, there's a lot, there's tougher road games out there at San Diego state. I believe they're going, they go into UNLV. Cause I think it's New Mexico. They're not going to, uh, yeah, I'll have to double check that. But yeah, they, they've got a lot of, they've got more tough road games ahead of them. And, They've got to win those. Yeah, their upcoming road games are at San Diego State. <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, January twenty fifth. Um, they are at UNLV on March first. They do not travel to the pit, so they avoid New Mexico. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna dodge a bullet there. But it's like you've got to you got to win some of these games, and we got to see are they gonna do better against maybe some mediocre, not the Air Forces who are gonna be toward the bottom of the conference. But what about the the Fresnos, the Wyomings, the Colorado States. Are they going to do the same thing against them where they just absolutely crap the bed? That's what you worry about. You worry that this is a trend and it's how they play on the road where they can't shoot, can't defend, can't do anything. So hopefully this is something they can put behind them, but so far this is the only data we have, and it says you're bad on the road. Uh, by the way, we do have the NFL wild card game that's being played on a Monday night, so that's coming up here shortly, so very short and show for us. Why did I even show up to work today? Here at the full court press. I don't know. I should have just filled it. Um, eight nine six eight. Now about a month after the game, I can see Weber State, what game did to their confidence. Boy, do they panic at the end of close games. Uh, and 6211, where were you guys on Friday? Well, I was flying to St. Louis, and I caught a bug while I was there, as you can tell in my voice. And, uh, Jason, you were traveling down to Salt Lake to see a jazz game. Yep, I went and saw the uh, Orlando versus Utah game. So uh, we had the show, but obviously we were not present um, in studio as it played. Uh, we'll have a lot more tomorrow. I know we don't have a lot of time today, and uh, we'll have a little bit more to get into with USU's next opponent, which is right upon us. But uh, that's tomorrow night. So we'll have more tomorrow on the show about breaking down what happened with Utah State and Nevada looking towards their, their next opponent, which is uh, UNLV in town, uh, the RPI for high school, the net rankings. A lot of these uh, updated uh, rankings and, and polls are out. So we'll get into more of that tomorrow and uh, look more at what's going on with the Utah Jazz as well. But uh, coming up next, it'll be the NFL, another NFL wildcard game here on The Fan, and they'll take over 
And uh, we'll be back at it uh, tomorrow. You're on the Full Court Press starting at 4 o'clock. Until then, have a great night, everybody. This is your Mountain West Basketball Update with Nate Kreckman. Saturday night in Las Vegas and Colorado State's Isaiah Stevens could not stop hitting the jackpot. Seven to go. Stevens step back. Three on its way. Blackjack! 82-81. Rams have the lead. Roll the dice, baby. Isaiah Stevens with 33. Brian Roth from Learfield. Stevens sent the game to overtime with a half-court three to end regulation, then buried that game winner in OT with four seconds to go. Stevens, 33 points, nine assists, eight rebounds. Colorado State downs UNLV 82-81 in overtime at the Thomas and Mack. Rams first win over the Rebels in Vegas since 2017. Also Saturday, New Mexico bounces back from a choppy start to conference play as the Lobos go into Viejas and beat number 23 San Diego State in their biggest win of the season. Mo turns to face, he's gonna drive on Ladee, whip it to house, corner three, good! Jalen has made three big second half threes, 63 to 50, Lobos in front. Robert Portnoy on KKOB 76-67 the final. House goes off for a game-high 29 to lead four Lobos in double figures, win number 16 for Richard Pitino's side. Talk about road wins. Air Force downs Fresno State 51-48 at the Saymart Center, while Boise State wins their fourth straight 85-68 at Wyoming. And Nevada holds serve on their home court Friday night as Will Baker and the Wolfpack down Utah State 85-70 in Reno. Lucas gets a Baker screen out front. Lucas to Baker. Baker, three ball right side. John Ramey from Learfield, Baker with 24, Keenan Blackshear a game-high 28 for the conference-leading Nevada Wolfpack. And that's your Mountain West Basketball Update. I'm Nate Kregman.